So today we are going to be continuing reading in Joshua, and the passage today comes from two chapters. We kind of split it up. Uh, We are going to be reading from Joshua 7, verses 1 through 5, and then we're going to jump to Joshua 8, 30 through 35. So I invite you to read the Bible if you brought a Bible app or your own personal Bible to open up Joshua, or you can read along and listen as it is on the screens behind me. So Joshua chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. But the Israelites were unfaithful in regard to the devoted things. Achan, son of Carmi, the son of Zerah, the son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah, took some of the devoted things, and the anger of the Lord burned against the Israelites. Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Bethaven, east of Bethel, and said to them, Go up and spy out the land. The men went up and spied out Ai. Then they returned to Joshua and said to him, Not all the people need to go up. Only about two or 3,000 men should go up and attack Ai. Since there were so few, do not make the whole people toil up there. So about 3,000 of the people went up there. And they fled before the men of Ai. The men of Ai killed about 36 of them, chasing them from the outside the gate as far as Sherebim and killing them on the slope. The hearts of the people melted and turned to water. Now Joshua 8. Then Joshua built on Mount Ebal an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel. And just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the Israelites, as is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of unhewn stones, of which no iron tool has been used. And they offered on it burnt offerings to the Lord and sacrificed offerings of well-being. And there in the presence of the Israelites, Joshua wrote on the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which had been written. All Israel, alien as well as citizen, with their elders and officers and their judges, stood on opposite sides of the ark in front of the Levitical priest who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord. Half of them on Mount Gerizim, the other half on Mount Ebal, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded at the first. And they should bless the people of Israel. Afterwards, he read all the words of the law, blessing and curses, according to all that is written in the book of the law. And there is not a word of all that Moses commanded that Joshua did not read before all the assembly of Israel. The women, the little ones, the aliens who resided among them. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You know, when I was younger, and many of the adults in here probably thought the same way when they were younger, being an adult would have been really cool, right? As a kid, you know, you're saying, man, as a kid, I don't get a lot of freedoms. But man, when I'm an adult, it's going to be awesome. You'd have no one telling you what to do. You can eat whatever you wanted to eat. Go to bed whenever you want to go to bed. And you can buy anything you want by just writing that check. I remember going grocery store shopping with my mom in the early 90s. And she always paid with a check at at the grocery store. And I wanted to get some extra candy. You know, they always bait the kids on the way out. And they want you to grab the candy, the chips. And I started throwing it on that little conveyor belt. And she said, oh, no, no, we can't buy that. That's not on the list. We, didn't, we don't want to spend the money on that. And I said, just write another check. And she <laughs> laughed at me. She said, that's not how it works. And so, you know, as a kid, you don't really have a concept of money. It makes me kind of think of, of a movie, Home Alone, with Kevin McAllister. If you remember in the movie, he wanted his parents to go away. You know, he wanted to make them disappear so he can not be told what to do and be told that he was bad. And then his, his wish comes true. His family, he doesn't know, but leaves to go to the airport without him. He oversleeps. 
alarm didn't go off, the power went out. And he walks around the house and that scene, all disheveled from sleeping. And I made my family disappear, right? And then he just runs throughout the house, screaming as loud as he can because no one's going to tell him to stop. He starts jumping on the bed, eating popcorn. He started going through his brother's stuff. And then he watched that forbidden gangster movie with eating all this pile of ice cream and junk food because you know what? No one was there to tell him to stop. There's no adult. He was the king of the castle. But then, you know, reality sets in for him. He gets kind of scared. There's that crazy basement sound that he hears and that neighbor across the street that has a questionable backstory. He gets lonely when he starts decorating the Christmas tree and he realizes that he's not safe and vulnerable to the burglars they're trying to get in. You know, adults, probably all of us in this room, came to the realization at one point that our ideas about adulthood were skewed, right? They weren't as true as what we thought they would be. While we have no one else telling us what to do, but if you're married, you have to work with a spouse, right? You can't always do what you want to do in a relationship. You have to work together. If you've got kids that you've got to take care of, they kind of tell you what to do a lot of times. I'm hungry. I'm ready to go do this and go do that. And if you work at a job or if you own your own business, you've got to work with a boss or some regulators. So as an adult, do you really get to do what you want to do? You know, we can eat what we want to eat. Yeah, that's true. But if you go to the doctor and they take those lab reports and they go over them with you and they scold you on them, those numbers are too high, those numbers are too high, those numbers are too high. Can you really eat what you want? And true, you can go to bed too whenever you want. You're going to pay for it the next day if you stay up too late. As adults, we get anxious when we realize we're staying up past our bedtime knowing, oh, it's going to be rough in the morning. I got so much to do. And yes, you can write that check for whatever you want. But if you don't have enough money in the bank as an adult, you'll pay some pretty hefty fees. Okay? So while some of the things as children you kind of understand, but you have to let it go sometimes. You have to let go of those ideas of what adulthood are. And you become wiser and more mature and you realize what it's really like to be an adult. In order to move forward and be a productive adult, you can't live the life that you thought you could live when you were a child. You kind of have to let that go. And so today's passage in Joshua shows us the danger of the Israelites and their defeat of not letting go of something and how they paid a price. And when they realized what they were not letting go of and what was plaguing their people, they got rid of it and began worshiping God and dedicating everything to God. So look at, let's look at this story here. At first you come up to the scene and in the first verse it says, but the Israelites were unfaithful in regard to the devoted things. Achan, son of Carmi, Zeremiah, and Zerah of the tribe of Judah took some of the devoted things and the anger of the Lord burned against the Israelites. Joshua commanded the people from God that whenever they plunder an area, take over a city that's been promised to them, that they do take the belongings of that town, but they give it to God and use it for God's purposes. It was never for personal profit or personal gain as some of the other nations would do. But God's people were not to take this for personal gain, but it was for the entire group and it was all for God. So God got angry when Achan took some of these things and he took it for himself. 
And so God not only got angry with Achan, but all of Israel. It infected not just him and his life, but all of Israel. He was angry at all of them. And so then we get to verse 4. And it says, all right, so they know there's not a lot of people here. The spies said you can take the town pretty easily, Joshua. So he sends 3,000 people, which he could have sent more. But he sent 3,000 people based off the spies' information that they could take the town. And guess what happened? AI, fewer men, turned them back. And while 36 lives lost were not that many, they were just stunned they lost any life in that battle because they just came from Jericho where they defeated them and took the town. God promised them that you're going to take this next town. So what happened? What happened? Well, if you keep reading, they found out that Achan took the plunder or some of the plunder from Jericho and hid it in his tent. And God knew about it. And God was angry with Israel. And Joshua and the Israelites needed to correct this wrong. And so as you continue to read, it gets pretty violent. But they end up taking Achan, his family, even his livestock, and basically getting rid of them. Ending their lives. Cutting out that tumor within their group. So that way they can give things back to God. And so what you have then, if you continue the story, they do take the town of Ai after they get rid of what was plaguing the group. After they get rid of that sin. And so what this shows us here in this scene and what's going on is that they do have God's promises if they're faithful to God. If not, there's a price to pay. There's something that they need to learn to work through in order to be 100% faithful. God wants all of them 100% of the time, not 98% of the time. He wants all of them to be faithful. And he wants to be with them in those moments. And when that works well, then they are able to take what is supposed to be theirs or receive what's supposed to be theirs. But when they're not, there's problems. There's problems. And so what happens is once they realize the problem and they take or receive AIs are supposed to, then they worship. Then you cut to this scene at the end of chapter 8 where they go to these mountains that are 25 miles away from AI and they built an altar in the way they're supposed to build an altar and they offer what they need to offer and they worship and they read the law and write it on the altar. They do all these things that are proper, giving it all back to God. Letting go of the riches and letting go of the prestige of being conquerors and giving it all back to God and remaining 100% faithful in those moments. So, when we look at the story about this, what do we have to let go in order for us to move forward individually and collectively as a church? What are these things in our lives that we have to let go of? You know, just as an adult, we have to let go of those ideas that we had as kids of what adulthood is going to be like. You know, are we living a way that pleases God? Are we giving 100% to God? Or are we living a way of life that society expects us to live? Are we doing what everybody else is doing? You know, when you live a life for what is popular in the moment as a church and as a Christian, that's kind of dangerous territory right there. 
You begin to put the culture and society as your God and not our true God. And you know, sometimes we have to have a mature viewpoint on some things as well. And it's hard as an individual in a church to go counterculture on some things. You know, the culture and society is very individualistic. Me, me, me. Do what you can for yourself. Better yourself to the point where you have excess, more than what you need. And keep it and put it in the storehouses. Don't give it away. That's pointless. Let them figure it out on their own. Let them do it for themselves. That's the way culture and society really puts things. And it's dangerous if, as a Christian and as a church to accept those ideals. And when you look at it, you also have to look at it in a way of what am I holding on to that is not allowing me to go forward. If it's not cultural ideas, like I said earlier, maybe it's all your possessions and things that you own. Maybe you're trying to go to that next level and buy that next home to have that extra bedroom. Or maybe you would like to have a play car in the driveway for the weekend just to drive around. Or maybe you want the newest and flashiest whatever it is. You know, there is a moment where we can get carried away with a lot of those things. There is a uh, passage that you'll find, I really like this passage. There's a passage you can find in, in three Gospels. They call the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, okay? And it addresses this idea of possessions. And we talked about it in, one of the, in Sunday school classes I was in last week. And it's the rich young ruler, the rich young ruler. It goes like this, and I'm reading from Mark. It says, as he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up, knelt before him, being Jesus, and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, well, why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. And you know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not defraud and honor your mother and father. And he said to him, teacher, I've kept all these things since my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said, you lack one thing. Go sell what you own, give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When he heard this, he was shocked and went away grieving, for he said, or for he had many possessions. You know, he had done everything right, gone to church probably, you know, he's probably served on a mission trip, you know, reads the prayer list, but he lacked that one thing of selling what he had and giving it away to those that need it. There in that moment, just like how God with Israelites and AI, in that moment, Jesus is telling him, God wants all of you. He wants all of you, and he wants you to give it all. And until you get to that point, you always have to work at what do I need to let go? What is it today that is holding me back from being fully committed to God so that I can live the rich life that has been promised to me? And so for many of us in our country, in the United States of America, many of us in this Tri-County area, we're wealthy beyond our means. When you look at the average individual in the world, 
there's statistics out there. If you ever go, go Google it. There says the, if the world is 100 people or the village of 100 people and it breaks down the population to 100 people and it will say how many people ha- live off 50 cents a day, how many live off a dollar a day, how many live off $2 a day. There's going to be about 95 people in that village and sometimes depending on the year it goes to 94 or 96, they update it every year. That's going to live on $2 or less a day. $2 or less a day is what they live off of. I don't think I can get a value menu with a drink, fry, and a burger for two bucks. I'm going to spend more than that for lunch. We're wealthy beyond our means in a lot of areas, especially where we are and where we live. We're blessed like that. So what is God calling us to do to give to him with our possessions so we can be fully embraced by him and have full faith in him? And you know, going down the list, what do we need to let go of? Another thing that I see in our community so much, and this is one of my areas that I struggle with, is the busyness of life, of all of the things that we've got going on that we've got to do. I mean, for me personally, yesterday I had one day to knock out all the house stuff because I know for the next six to seven days, I don't have time to do it and I need to cut my grass. So I cut my grass, even though I would have loved to not have had to cut my grass. But I cut my grass, you know, and I did a real good job on it. So that way, hopefully it won't grow. I know it'll probably grow a little bit. I got to cut it one more time. But I had to do that. And I had to do the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And all along when I was knocking out these house things that had been piling up and I know I won't have time to get to again, my watch for notifications for today was going off. Get to church at 8, teach confirmation 945, preach at 11, pet blessings at 2, nominations at 3, fall fest at 4, da-da-da-da-da. And I was like, whew, okay. Then Monday comes. And see, that's, just, that's something I'm being very uh, transparent with you guys. Busyness is something I'm always striving to see. Is this necessary? If I don't do this, would it be detrimental to me? That's how we need to look at the things that we do. If we don't do that, is that detrimental to me? And if it's not detrimental, then maybe we need to cut it out. We're too busy. There's plenty of things for all of us in this room to go and do once we leave at 12 o'clock. Maybe busyness is something that we have to let go of. I liked what Sam said in the children's moment of the monks and carrying the lady. And he lifted up that we all have to let go of that worry in our lives. And that is something that plenty of us have is worry, because there's so much to worry about, right? But that can also be something that holds us back. It's the unnecessary worry. There's a little bit of good healthy worry, all right? But there's also that unhealthy worry. I've heard people say sometimes that, you know what, I worry about a lot of stuff and that's probably a good thing because not a lot of it actually happens and my worrying must be working. But then also I would say to that person, like, well, I guess you don't go out your front door because by not going out your front door, then I guess you're not going to get hit by the car. So I guess you're doing a good thing by not going out the front door. But then you're stuck in your home all the time. There's no forward movement. But the other thing that I think many of us struggle with when it comes to our faith, and there's many reasons that we get here, is this bent up resentment sometimes that we have, that we have in life. This built-up anger that we have in our life sometimes. And that's a normal emotion to have, but it gets to a point to where it controls you, then you can't move forward in life. You're always stuck in that cycle of resentment and anger. 
and you've got to let it go. You can't stay there. Because what happens with all these things that you're thinking of that hold you back, they control you. They control you. They own you. They live in your head rent-free. And nobody should do that. Nothing should do that. Nothing should be able to control you but the love of God. We have the freedom to make choices. To make good choices and make bad choices. And what God is helping us see here is that we need to make the choice to be faithful to him because that's when we can have the full richness of life. And so we have to let go of some things and let go of the control that it has of our mind or of our actual bodies and let it go, cut it out. It is so very important because if not, you're going to miss what God's got in store for you. It's a journey. And the journey is the process and the thing that you grow with. You know, as the Israelites found out that Achan was the one that they needed to cut out, they did that. And then they worshiped God and gave it all to God. And he continued to bless them. And so it's so very important for us. And that's why I love, I say it all the time, some people kind of roll their eyes at stewardship, like, oh no, when they're asking for money. But it's also important, it's a time of reflection that we all need to do, including me, all the time. And see what in this moment is preventing me from moving forward with God. What is it? And then in that moment, we need to cut it out. And I know it's dramatic what they do to Achan and his family, but they wanted to make sure that it was gone. And so whatever it is, you've got to come up with a strategy and pray to God with the help of the Holy Spirit and move past it and let it go. And so my challenge for each and every one of you today, as we focus on that theme, let it go, is really reflect what is truly holding you back from giving it all to God? What is holding you back from increasing your tithe for next year? What is holding you back for volunteering at the church and serving? What is holding you back for signing up on that mission trip or to adopt a family for birthday gift for Christ? What is holding you back? What is holding you back from joining up with a small group or Sunday school class? What is holding you back in your faith? And once you figure out what it is, pray to God about ways to cut it out of your life and to get rid of it. Because once you can do that, then you can see the Holy Spirit begin to work in your life and moving you forward into whatever direction God is calling you. And then at that time, you can have the full richness and the mature faith that we're all seeking to have. So let us pray.